All right, I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading for our sermon this morning. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. As we continue our series, this is week number four in our series, Our Firm Foundation. We have looked at verses 28 and 29 pretty extensively, and now we move into verse 30. And so I want to invite you to please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. I'm going to start in verse 28, and I'm going to read to verse 30. Beginning in Romans 8, 28, this is God's holy word for us, His people. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This is God's holy word for us. Let's ask Him to bless our time in this word. Father, we give you thanks for the reading, and now we pray you would especially bless the preaching of your word. Open my mouth to speak your truth. Make it clear to our minds. May it touch our hearts, and may it persuade our wills. May it comfort our conscience, and may it strengthen our souls. We ask you to do this work for us by your Holy Spirit, a work that only you can do. And so we ask you to come, be with us through this word, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, we come now to verse 30 in Romans chapter 8, our firm foundation. So far, we've looked at three core doctrines, three rock-solid foundation stones that make up our firm foundation. And in week one, we saw the truth of Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for our good. And how can we know that promise is sure? Because we serve a sovereign God who has power over all things. And that week, we saw the doctrine of God's absolute sovereignty, that He has dominion over all things. He has decreed all that comes to pass and that He is sovereignly, powerfully guiding and directing all things towards that good that He has in store for us. His wise and powerful providence, arranging all things that happen, bending them to His will to accomplish His purpose. The next week, week two, we saw the truth of unconditional election, that God has claimed us for Himself. Romans eight twenty eight says that He chose us according to His purpose, that His unconditional sovereign decree is the firm foundation of our secure election. He has claimed us to belong to Him. He has chosen us in love and He has foreknown us. He cherishes us. He has decided that we shall be His holy elect people. And then last week we looked at predestination. Not only has God decided who His people are, He has also determined the destiny of those people. We're not just foreknown, 
We are foreordained for the glory of God. We are to share in the ultimate glory of Christ, the firstborn among many brothers in verse 29. And we're not only appointed for that glorious end, we're also appointed all the steps on the way to that glory, the means to the end. And we looked at three of them last week. Sanctification, growing in holiness. Adoption, being a child of God and growing in your relationship with Him. And then third, membership in the church. Growing in your participation and your fellowship with other believers in the life and worship and ministry of a local church. These are the means by which God is taking us to that eternal inheritance He has for us. That's Romans 8, 28 and 29. Now verse 30. We come to the next big pair of doctrines. One of them is going to be new, and one of them we've already talked about a little bit. This verse is what Reformed theologians love to call the golden chain of redemption. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that means and why it's called that in a moment. This week we are coming to this word that we've already met before, the word called. And I want us to go a little more in-depth about that word called. So I want us to see three things this morning. First, the order of the call in this golden chain. Second, the necessity of this call. Why do we need a call from God? Why is that necessary? And then third, the result of the call. If you get this call, what happens? The order of the call and its necessity and its result. That's where we're going. And as we look at these three points in light of Scripture in its full context, we learn a very important truth. We learn salvation is God's work from first to last. And if salvation is God's work from first to last, then we must take no credit for being a Christian. Let's dive into point one, the order of the call. And before we get to explaining the order, I want to tell you why we refer to Romans 8.30 as the golden chain. And I want to tell you, if there's a verse that would be great to commit to memory, not many of us memorize much scripture anymore, here's a good one. Romans 8.30 is a pretty good one. Why is it called the golden chain? Let me give you a little bit of an explanation. It's called the golden chain because it links eternity past with eternity future in God's plan of redemption. Like links in a chain, it links eternity past to eternity future in God's plan, His eternal plan of redemption. Look at verse 30. It says, those whom He predestined. When does that happen? Yesterday? The moment you believe? No, Scripture says that happened in eternity past. Before the foundation of the world, we were chosen in Him and we were predestined. That's eternity past. Look at the next two. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. When does your calling and justification happen? That happens in time. Not in eternity, that happens in your life. 
So we've got eternity past, predestination. We've got called and justified. Now we're in time. And what's the last one? Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Predestined, eternity past. Called and justified, right in the middle. Glorification, eternity future. Links in a chain, four unbreakable links that connect God's eternal plan for your salvation as an individual all the way from eternity past to eternity future. Here's another reason we call it the golden chain. It doesn't just link eternity past to eternity future. It also binds you like a chain to God and it holds you fast to Him. It fastens you to the Lord. In that song, Come Thou Fount, we ask God to do this for us. Bind my wandering heart to thee, we say. Bind me with the fetters of grace to you, O Lord, to your cross. It binds us to God and it holds us secure because there are no dropouts in this verse. Look at it very closely. Romans 8.30. It picks up on predestination from verse 29. and It says, those whom he predestined, he also called. So everyone who gets predestined, these are the ones who also get called. And those whom he called, he also justified. So if you get called, you're getting justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If you are justified, you will be glorified. They're all connected dropouts. There aren't some people who get the call who don't get justified. No, it says those whom he called, he justifies. Those whom he justifies, he glorifies. No dropouts. So if you're in this chain, if you have this golden chain wrapped around you, you are solidly secure, soundly saved. No one can pluck you out of this. And you can't wiggle your way out either. Sometimes we talk about that verse where where Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. And we like to think, oh, that's true, but what if I just squirm and wiggle my way out? I can pry open one of His fingers and I can jump out. There's no room for that here. You're in chains. Chains of grace. A slave of God, Romans 6. Not a slave of sin. On your way to glory. No dropouts. If you're predestined, eternity past, you're getting to eternity future. And you want to know why? Third thing I want to say about the golden chain. God is the one who forges all four links in this chain. Look at these, look at these verbs Who's doing the action? Those whom He predestined. God does the predestining. Those whom He called. God does the calling. Those whom He justified. God does the justifying. He also glorified. How many things did you do in that verse? You received predestination. You got predestined. You were called. 
You were justified. You will be glorified. You are passive. God is active. God is the one forging each and every link in this golden chain. He's the subject of these verbs, and that means He's the one who accomplishes salvation from first to last. And we are the ones who just get to receive it. Because when it comes to salvation, Christian, the only thing you will ever bring to the table is your need for it. Your unworthiness is all you'll bring. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's what we sing And that's what Scripture teaches. That's why this is a golden chain. It cannot be broken. If you are in this chain, you are secure forever. The first link is predestination, and everything else follows in a natural and logical order from that. God predestines the ends and the means. So, Predestination is first. That takes us now to the call. The order of the call in this golden chain. The order is very important. Notice this. The call comes after predestination. Those whom he predestined, he also called. The call comes after predestination, which means in between predestination and the call is our life of sin prior to receiving the call. We're predestined in eternity past. We come into this world and we are sinful creatures. And then we receive the call. And then notice next, the call comes after predestination, but it comes before justification. This is very important. In between the call and justification is our conversion. It's our faith and repentance, our coming to Christ. Now, justification is by faith. And the call precedes justification, which means the call comes before our faith. So here's the order, very simply. First, we are in sin and unbelief. Next, we're called by God. Then, we believe in Christ, and then we're justified from sin. You see it? That's why the order is so important. The call comes before justification, and therefore it comes prior to our faith. And this is how it must be. It is absolutely necessary that it be in this order. Now we're at point two. That's the order of the call, but why does it have to be like that? Why is God's preceding call necessary? This is point two. The answer to this question is based on another fundamental reformed, and forget reformed, fundamentally biblical doctrine. If it ain't biblical, it doesn't matter if it's reformed. Who cares? I want to see it in the book. The, God's book, not Calvin's book. Right? Scripture. There's another fundamental doctrine. It's not explicitly stated in this text. It is presupposed in this text because Paul's already described it at length and in excruciating detail a couple chapters before he gets to this one. So read the book of Romans as a whole. 
What came before is pretty important for where we are now. And where we are now will be important for where the book goes next. So the doctrine isn't explicitly in verse 30. But it is in chapters 1 and 2 and 3 and 5 and 6 and 7. Okay? Context is everything here. Why does the call have to come first? Why is it necessary? Here's our next core doctrine for our firm foundation. It is the doctrine of original sin. Original sin. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, you and I are born in Adam. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve. We are all under the curse that Adam and Eve brought upon the human race. Because of the fall, you and I are born in Adam, and we bear his condemnation, and we bear his corruption. Condemnation and corruption. That's what it means to be born in sin. That's what it means to be in the state of original sin. Flip back a couple chapters. Look at chapter 5. And I'm going to read the Adam parts of chapter 5. What does Paul say about Adam and our relationship to Adam in chapter 5? Verse 12. Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. See what Adam did for us? Through one man, sin and death came into the world. First part of verse 15. Many died through one man's trespass. In verse 17, about Adam, he says, Because of one man's trespass, death reigned like a king through that one man. Verse 18, he says about Adam, Therefore, one trespass, one sin at the tree, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. In verse 19, By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Paul could not be more clear. Sin and death, corruption and condemnation come into this world through Adam's sin, and we are heirs by birth of that corruption and that condemnation of his sin and his death. So, a little a word about the corruption and a word about the condemnation. We have another word in theology for the corruption of sin. It's called total depravity. Total depravity. Now, quick clarification. Total depravity does not mean that you are as sinful as you could possibly be. It doesn't mean that you will commit every sin you're capable of committing before you're a believer. I'll bet even Hitler loved his mom... And I bet he was nice to his dog sometimes. 
if he was as evil as he could have been, he would just be stabbing people left and right. Everybody would be dead around him, right? He wasn't as evil as he possibly could have been, even though he was (laughs) unbelievably evil. The worst sinners on the planet still do some nice things. And that's all of us. Before we came to Christ, we were sinful by nature, but we didn't commit every single sin we were capable of. So total depravity doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean completely sinful in every way. What it does mean is this. It means we are comprehensively sinful in every part of our existence. There's no area of life and there's no part of your being that isn't touched, tainted, and twisted, and perverted, and corrupted by sin in some way, shape, or form. Sin touches every part of us. Every faculty and component of ourselves, our heart, our soul, our mind, our conscience, our will, our body, everything in us is corrupted twisted and broken by sin. You and I are sinners by nature and by choice. Ephesians 4, 17-19. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's the effect on the mind, the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. See how it's all connected. Head and heart both are dark, cold, lifeless, hard, resistant to God. Verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's what sin does to us. Not just every part of our souls, but every area of our lives. Our relationships, our communities, our institutions, our societies, our civilizations. Everything in us and everything from us is corrupted by sin. Why do you fight with your spouse? Why do people fight with each other with weapons in the streets? Why are people dishonest at work? Why do bad people do bad things? Why do good people do bad things? Why is there misery in the world around us? It's because everything in us and everything from us is twisted by sin. It's this disease That corrupts us all. That's the corruption of sin. Now the second thing we get from Adam isn't just his corruption. We get his condemnation. The condemnation of sin. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.1 that we are spiritually dead. Being dead in our trespasses and our sins. Romans 8, 7 and 8 tell us that we are enemies of God, incapable of obedience. For the mind, Paul says, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, you're outside of Christ. And when you're in the flesh, you 
cannot, not you sometimes don't, not you usually don't, you literally can't. You are not able to do it. Why? Because you have been corrupted by sin and you are condemned to spiritual death and to be the enemy of God. Another condemnation. You are condemned as the slave of sin. Jesus says in John 8.34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And another condemnation. We are in bondage to the devil. This is one we don't usually think about. We think, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I stink. I'm a sinner. <laughs> There's an enemy that I mentioned when I prayed earlier that I asked for protection for. We talked about the enemy in our Tuesday talks this past week. Spiritual warfare. There is a real enemy of our souls. And before we're saved, we are his lackey. We are on his leash and we're having a great time. Second Timothy 2.26, Paul's talking about the opponents of the gospel. And he says that they are in the snare of the devil, being captured by him to do his will. You're in bondage to your sin. You're in bondage to spiritual death. You're in bondage to your hostility and hatred of God. And you are in bondage to the will and manipulation of the devil. And ultimately, your condemnation is eternal death. Paul says we are children of wrath in Ephesians 2, 1-3. Children of wrath. You know what that means? It means you are an heir of damnation. The prince, the firstborn of a king, is the heir of the kingdom from the moment he's born. And from the moment you're born, you are the heir of damnation. By nature, in Adam, and then you live like it. It's what our sinful hearts want. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, Following the course of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. You were following Satan. Not fighting him. I don't want to do the devil's will. No, you did. You did. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Original sin. Why is God's call necessary? Because of original sin. Because of the corruption and the condemnation of sin. In the state of original sin, you and I are utterly helpless. We are completely powerless to make ourselves spiritually alive. We're unwilling to be freed from our sin. We refuse to come to Christ. We are addicted to our bondage. We have a love affair with our sin. One thing I haven't really talked about in this series is where free will plays into all this. Because that's the big question. Election, predestination, God's call. What about free will? 
Let me just give you one sentence on my view of how free will works into this. Everyone has free will. But no one has good will. You have free will. You can do whatever you want. But what do you want? We have free will as sinners. We do exactly what we want. What we want is our sin. We don't want God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God because they will not. They don't want to. That's why when you evangelize an unbeliever, don't be shocked when they do that thing unbelievers do, which is unbelieve. John chapter 3, Jesus says, Light has come into the world, and this is the judgment upon the world. As he shines his light upon it, men love darkness rather than light, and they will not come to the light because they hate the light, because in the light their evil deeds are exposed. That was all of us before we were called by God. Now we come to point three. Why is the order of the call important? Why is the call necessary before we come to faith? Because that condition I just described, original sin, you can't break out of that. It's not a golden chain. It is a black chain that holds you as a prisoner of sin, Satan, the flesh, the world, the grave, the devil. And it will drag you down to an abyss of hell. But for those whom he predestined, he also called. And now point three, what's the result of that call? What happens when you get this call? This call is like the call of God in Genesis Chapter 1, when he said, let there be light, and there was light. God gave a word. He called light into being. Because when God calls, his call creates what it commands. The call creates what it commands. Just like Jesus outside the tomb of Lazarus. Four days dead, body already decomposing. No chance he's coming out by himself. Lazarus is stone dead. And the Son of God said, move the stone. Stand back. Watch the glory and power of God. And one day, Christian, you were behind that rock, dead, Stone dead. I don't care what a decent moral person you were. You were dead in sin without Christ. And Jesus, one day, through an evangelist or through a gospel presentation, listening to stuff on the radio from a missionary, He said, move the stone. And He said, Lazarus, come forth. Wesley, it's time to get up. It's time to come out. It's like the little girl, Jairus' daughter, who's dead. And he says, 
little girl, arise. And the dead girl sits up. Or in Luke, when a, a funeral's going by, and he stops the procession, he stops the coffin, and he says, he's not dead. Open the lid. Get up. The hour is here, he said in John, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they'll live. They'll come out of their tombs, the tomb of sin that you've been buried in your whole life. That's what happened to you. He came and He gave you life. He raised you up. He called you out of darkness into His light. He called you out of death into life. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's describing unbelievers and believers. He says, in their case, the unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. There's the devil's work. He has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the call goes out, the gospel's being preached, and it's like the sun at noon on a cloudless day shining down in its brilliance. And we're blind men who can't see a thing. The sun can beat down on your lifeless eyes all at once. You won't see anything. The God of this world does that to us. He blinds us to the light of the gospel But then Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Genesis 1. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God does that for us. What's the result of the call? Regeneration. New birth. Regeneration, simple, to generate, right? To produce, to bring something about. Regenerate, do it again. Reproduce it again, to recreate, to renew, to be born again. Regeneration. And because the call comes first, regeneration comes first. You must be born again before you can even see the kingdom, Jesus said to Nicodemus. In John 3, regeneration comes before our faith. God's call, His effectual call, it's effectual because it never fails to do what it's intended to do. It's effective. It's the effectual call that creates us anew in Christ, that remakes us, that takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, that causes the lights to go on that melts our hostility to God, that breaks our chains. That's what we sang about today. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. The dungeon was flooded with light. The chains fell off and I arose and I went forth. And that's how you got saved. You didn't do that. God did that. The call remakes us into believers. Regeneration comes before We come to faith. It's what makes the faith in our hearts. We all have eyes. God gives us sight. And the first thing we do with the gift of sight is we look at Jesus. And we put our faith in Him. Regeneration is what conversion feels like on the inside. 
And conversion is what regeneration looks like on the outside. Let's close with this question I want you to think about. What makes you different from an unbeliever? What makes a difference? Is it God's grace or is it your faith? The Bible says it's God's grace. Because it's God's grace that gives us our faith. We can take no credit for our faith or for our salvation. And so what you should do, Christian, is that you should thank God for the fact that you are a Christian. When you got up this morning and you looked in the mirror, you were looking at a miracle. A Christian was looking back at you. Someone who isn't in bondage to the devil. Someone who isn't hostile to God. Someone who loves God whose heart beats with faith in God, who wants to follow Jesus, who believes the gospel, who trusts the Bible. Did you do that for yourself? Did you wake up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian, and then poof, you just transformed your whole soul into a believing, radical follower of Jesus. You did that. No. You should worship God for your faith and thank God that He rescued you from the mass of unbelieving, sinful humanity that has rebelled against Him. That's the first thing you should do with this doctrine is just get on your face and say, God, you did this. I can't take credit for it. And you worship God. What's another thing you can do with this doctrine? This doctrine should give us complete humility. This is not a doctrine to be proud and arrogant about. Reformed people get real, real arrogant about, well, we're chosen and we love theology and we, we believe the truth. And you, you know. This doctrine ought to put you on the ground in humility to God. And how dare we? How dare we look down our nose at sinners like we're any better? We shouldn't look down our nose and say, oh, these pathetic little sinners running around doing this, that, and the other thing. Not like me. Thank God I'm not like those sinners. There's a parable about people like that. No, we should be humble towards unbelievers and sinners who don't know the Lord. We should rather mourn and pity and pray and not be proud and not look down our nose as a holier-than-thou. Because if it wasn't for God's grace and call... We'd be right there with them. Guys, Jesus says, My sheep, they will hear my voice and they will follow me. Search your hearts today. Christian, I ask you to search your hearts today. Have you heard the voice of the shepherd? I watched, I will close with this. I watched a video on YouTube this week. It just, every time I watch it, it just brings me to, it, it, it shouldn't do this to me, but it does. It brings me to tears. It's just a silly little two minute video on YouTube, uh, where this group of kids are taken out to a sheep, a field, 
and they're at a fence. It's like a little field trip out to see a farmer, a sheep herder. And the little kids, one by one, get to go up to the fence, and they get to try and call the sheep and see if they'll listen. They're out grazing. you know, They're just minding their own business. And then the shepherd tells them, all right, here's the words I always say to call the sheep. Now just say the exact same thing I do. Say it the way I say it and go give it a try. And it was so funny. Like the kids are like embarrassed. They're like, here's sheep, here's sheep. You know, and, and, they, and they just won't listen. The sheep are ignoring them and the kids are laughing. And it's a fun little video. And guys, then the shepherd, I can't even, I can't even talk about this video. Then the shepherd walks up to that fence and he just starts calling these sheep, man. And you just see their little ears start to pop up. And their little heads look up. And man, they come running. The whole hillside just comes sweeping with this flock coming to hear because they heard his voice. And I just say every day, Lord, let me hear your voice. Open my ears. I don't want to be deaf to you. I want to follow you like that. Every time you come calling, let me come running. Oh, that's where we ought to be, church. It's to come running when the shepherd calls. And I just want you to think, have you heard his voice today? Are you following him? Do you love the shepherd? If you do, thank the Lord Jesus for that. The shepherd picks his flock. The sheep didn't pick their shepherd. You belong to him. And he loves you with a love that you cannot fathom. And he's the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. You're in a golden chain, Christian. And that shepherd is going to take you to glory. Oh, what hope this should give us. Oh, what zeal this should give us. Let us follow hard after him. Because he moved heaven and earth to wrap this golden chain around us and make us his. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you called us to yourself, that you have set your love upon us, and there's not one thing we could have done to earn it. You have done it all. You have made us your own, and you've called us to follow you. And I thank you so much that one day, one day when I was just running the other direction, and I did not love you, and I did not care for you, and I did not want you, I wanted to be religious, I wanted to be spiritual, I wanted to be moral, but I didn't give one rip about you. The gospel wasn't attractive, the cross didn't make sense, God wasn't beautiful, you were not a treasure, heaven was not appealing. I just wanted my own sinful desires. I loved this world, and I didn't love anything you had to offer. And I just thank you that one day you said to me, roll the stone away. Wesley, live. Come forth. That you called me, and I can't, I can't take any credit for that. None of us here can. You called us forth from death to life. And now we love you and we follow you. And I pray you would give us a heart, a heart to spread your good news that there is a good shepherd who has done everything that we need for salvation. And anyone who hears the voice of the shepherd may come. That you would not make us proud and arrogant and haughty towards unbelievers, but give us a broken heart and let us shed tears for the sinners around us and love them like you loved us. 
and take them the message and give us boldness and freedom as we share the gospel with unbelievers because we know that it's not up to us to save anybody. It's up to us to be faithful and to speak the truth and to leave the rest in your hand because our hands are weak. Your hands are powerful. Your blood has never failed your sheep. Oh Lord, use us to call others to yourself. Use us in this place. May we follow hard after you. Thank you for the golden chain that is taking us to eternity. We love you, Lord. We want to follow you closely. We want to be all you've called us to be. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy to us. In Jesus' name, amen.